Turn your Bibles with me to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, we're continuing this morning our series on the resurrection, looking at the effects and the implications of the resurrection after the Easter event. And so what we've done over the last couple of weeks is ask the question, does the resurrection have relevance for the believer's life every day? We know the resurrection has implication for eternity, our eternity secured in heaven because Christ came out of the tomb, but, but does the resurrection also impact the way we do life every day? Our, our answer from Scripture is a, is a clear yes, and so what we've done over these weeks is, is looked at the Scriptures to see exactly how does the resurrection have relevance for everyday life. And so this morning we're looking at the resurrection as it relates to sin in our lives. The Christian's life is a life that's characterized by a constant war with sin. We know that through the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, we are free from sin. We're no longer penal- we're no longer under the penalty of that sin. But our experience is very common in the fact that we still wrestle with sin. We still sin. We still go to the Lord and confess our sins and ask Him to forgive those sins. Some days it seems as if we are just a shade shy of holiness and we are walking in righteousness and purity and loving the Lord with closeness and sincerity. And then for a myriad of reasons, the next day it seems as if we can be stumbling around, hitting one sin after another, trying to figure out what in the world is going on with life. And so as we think about the resurrection, let's ask, does the resurrection have meaning for how we deal with sin in this life? The Bible presents the Christian as one who is in Christ. And in Romans chapter 6, this is the language that Paul uses, the fact that we are, that we are in Christ. And, and our being in Christ has meaning, has implication for our eternity in heaven, but not just our eternity in heaven, but our life right now, and specifically as it relates to how we deal with sin. And so let's look at Romans 6. We'll read verses 1 through 11 and think about how does the resurrection inform how we deal with sin in this life. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. Look at the scriptures with me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul makes three references to the resurrection in this passage. You see the first one in verse 4. He says, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. You see the next one in verse 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then you see a reference again in verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
You see, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the resurrection had eternal significance and everyday significance. So much that Paul says statements like Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so as believers, Christians, those who've repented and believed on the Lord Jesus, we are seen, according to what Scripture teaches, as in Christ. And does our in, the fact that we are in Christ have meaning and relevance to how we deal with sin in this life? So Paul begins this text with asking this question in verse, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What triggers this question in his mind? As he's writing this letter, we understand when he originally wrote this, he didn't include chapter and verses. He just wrote a letter to some brothers and sisters who were in Rome. And so he's writing in response to what we read in, in, in chapter 5, where, where he presents the fact that for the Christian, for the believer... Our being in Christ is based solely on grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And with no doing to any work that we bring to the table, any inherent goodness that we bring to the table, or any effort that we bring to the table. Look at chapter 5 and verse 8. Paul writes there, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, Jesus died. He didn't clean us up and then die. We were sinners, and he died. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more that now that we are reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And so he's pointing to the fact that this is all by God's grace. We were sinners, totally unworthy and undeserving of any good from God, much less eternal life that's going to cost the very son of God. But God does this anyway. We're sinners. Christ died for us. This is all of grace. And so the, the, the tension in the text in chapter 6 is, well, if this is all of grace and God's going to save us by his grace, well, then maybe we can just be saved and we can live our lives the way that we want. And we can, we can have our, our eternity secure. We can have our ticket punched for heaven. And then we can just live however we so choose here on earth. And the, the tension here is that, well, if you're not careful, well, then people will make their reservations for heaven. And then they'll just live in sin and enjoy the pleasures of sin while they're on this earth. And so Paul says, is that, should that be the case? Should, should, should grace give us a license to sin? Was resounding response in verse 2, emphatic, is by no means. Other translations translate these words, may it never be, absolutely not, God forbid. But why not? Why, why should it not be the case for us as Christians that those of us who are saved, that we can go on and live our lives pursuing sin? Well, it's because we are dead to sin and we are now in Christ. And so Paul, Paul teaches here, on the basis of the cross and the resurrection, that the believer is no longer a slave to sin and therefore should no longer enjoy sin in this life because our life is now in Christ. And so he begins with, with an explanation of our being in Christ, and then he concludes with an application of our being in Christ. So let's consider first this explanation. And this explanation centers around three statements that, that are all characterized by the word no that he uses in these verses in Romans 6. Three no statements. And it's important for us as we think about how we fight sin. We talked about that struggle, that, that struggle that we all face and experience. Um, in our war with sin, we fight sin with what we believe. And we trust that what we believe results in behavior. And how, we, how do we actually live the changed life that we know that we can, that we should live? 
How do we fight sin and how do we live in victory over sin in this life? We have to start with what we know. And so that's where Paul takes the the reader here. And the first truth here is he explains being in Christ is that we, we must know that we have a new life. We must know that we have a new life. We don't continue in sin because we have new life. So to, in response to the question of are we to continue in sin, that grace may abound, by no means, verse 2, how can he who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? Verse 3 teaches us that the death of Christ is our death. Our old life, our old person is dead. And so Paul uses the the picture of baptism here in verse 3. We've been baptized into Christ, and as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the death of Christ. This This is language of being in union with Christ. We are made one with Christ as we are placed into Christ. A statement of identification, a statement of immersion. He says we were buried with him through baptism. Now, we, we use these verses, we quote these verses whenever we physically baptize someone as a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. And certainly that, that's not a misapplication of what's going on here because that's a picture of what Paul is writing about in this text. Paul's, Paul's language here is not just a physical water baptism. His language is a baptism into Christ, an immersion into Christ. It's just, Jesus uses the same language of baptism when he talks about being baptized with the baptism that, that was coming to him and drinking the cup that was coming to him in Mark chapter 10, talking about the wrath of God being poured out at the event of the cross. And so the language here that Paul uses, and he says, we've been baptized into the death of Christ. And so the death of Christ is our death. Verse 4, we learn also that we've been transferred from death to life. So the death of Christ is our death. In Christ we died our, our death to, to sin. And so verse 4, we've been transferred from death to life. We've been buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's not just that, we, that our old life died in the death of Christ. It's also that our new life began by the life of Christ. So because of the work of Christ applied to the believer's life, we have new resurrection life. It's important for us to understand here that God, when he saves us, God doesn't just remodel our old life. He doesn't just revamp. He doesn't just fix up. He doesn't patch. He doesn't put a coat of paint over. He doesn't just stitch what went wrong. He doesn't just look at what we have to offer and make it better. He makes us new. There was once an old person, an old self, an old Richard. And when God saves that old person, when he saved me, he made me someone who I was not before. I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. We've been transferred from death to life. And how does that happen? That happens by the death and the resurrection of Christ. We have new life, which brings us to verse 5. The life of Christ is now, is now our life. The life of Christ is now our life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so we have new life here, and then we'll ultimately and finally have new life in a resurrected body with the Lord Jesus. And so Paul's point here is that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we are raised from the death of our sin. We're baptized into the death of Christ. We are raised into the life of Christ. His death is our death. Just as Jesus died, we died. 
and his life is our life. Just as he lives, we now live. And so here's why, here's why the, the reference to baptism came under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul's mind and is important for us. Our immersion into the death of Christ results in our being alive in the life of Christ. And so typically when we think about baptism, we think about a, a very gentle experience and, and it's very, very comforting for all who are witnessing. We lower someone down into a pool of water and we bring them out and it's incredibly encouraged for all. But in, when you think about what's going on in the text here, it's more of a, a radical, spiritually violent event that occurs in a, in a moment and results in complete and absolute change. There is death. There is burial. But praise the Lord, there is also resurrection. Now think about what's going on here as we, as we consider the fact that we have a new life. We were once dead to God and alive towards sin, even though we were dead. We, we were dead to God. There was, there was nothing within us that would cause us to want to pursue God. Any pursuit that we had toward God was a clear indication that God was drawing us to himself. And so we were once dead to God and marked by sin, but now we are alive to God. And according to what Paul teaches right here, we are now dead to sin. And so our immersion into Christ, our baptism into the life of Christ, becomes the motivator for us and the filter for us to view the whole Christian life and especially sin. It's not just... He's not just referring to a moment when someone is immersed into, into water. He's referring to, to being immersed into the life of Christ and experiencing a new, complete, changed reality for the person's existence. And so the question that, that the text warrants for us is, do you have this type of new life through Christ? Have you been immersed into the death of Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life that is in Christ? If not, then, then repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Repent. Tell the Lord you are sorry for your sins. Confess those sins to him. Acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner and ask him to forgive you for those sins. Trust. Place your faith and trust in him. Confess your trust on him to save your soul. And you will be immersed into the life of Christ. So we must know that we have a new life. And if we have this new life, this is true for us forever. Every day. We must know we have a new life. We must also know we have a new identity. We have a new life and we have a new identity. And this identity comes from our new master. So verse 6, there are three phrases that Paul uses here in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Why? in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You, 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 you see his progression here. What is the old self here that, that Paul is referring to in verse 6? He's not referring just to the first part of my life when I was really good at making a mess of things, but he's referring to the totality of who I was in my original heritage in the family of Adam. If you go back in, in chapter 5, Paul writes to the, to, the, to the effect that, that because of Adam's sin, every man and woman in all of human history is marked and marred by sin. No one is exempt. So you, you see verse 12 of chapter 5, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. 
And so we're all characterized by sin before Christ, outside of Christ. We're all of the the family of Adam. And this is the old self that he's referring to in verse 6. It's not just, and not just the fact that, that we made mistakes every now and then and God just wasn't happy with us. No, by nature. By nature, we were enemies toward God. We were enemies of the cross of Christ. And we were rebels toward the one who created us. And it's because we're all of the line of Adam. And so with the, with the old self, we had this, he goes on to, to describe this body of sin. He said, verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Sin characterized the, intent, the entirety of, of our old persons. The condemnation of sin and the curse of sin was resonant upon us, but notice what he says. We know that our old self was what? Crucified. What happens in a crucifixion? Someone dies. The old self is dead. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The condemnation and the curse of sin are now gone. They are no more applicable to us. So therefore, we are no longer under sin's dominion. We are, we are not slaves to the master of sin. It's not just that we are free from the curse of sin. We are also free from the power of sin in our lives. This body of sin refers to, to our old self that, refer, that responds to the sinful impulses of life. He says that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Translated also, rendered powerless. It's void. We still have the capacity to sin, but the point here is that we are no longer under the mastery of sin. He points to that fact at the end of verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is, we, we must understand that we no longer have to sin because we have been set free from that taskmaster that is sin. And then he goes on in verses 7 and 8 and says, Our old self died. Verse 7, For one has, who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Christ's death for sin is our death to sin. His death for sin is our death to sin. And so if you belong to Christ, sin has lost its eternal grip on you. You no longer have to do what you once did because you no longer are who you once were. The old self has died. The, the old self, the old body of sin has been brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The totality of who we were is now gone, and the totality of who we are is now in Christ. Our lives become what, what Sinclair Ferguson refers to as the unfertile soil for the seeds of sin. Now, our experience right, points to the fact that we still sin. So what's going on here? We certainly still have the presence of sin in our lives. We certainly still fight the war with sin. But we must understand, based on what Paul's teaching here, sin is powerless in our lives unless we choose to empower it. Any power that sin may have in our lives is by permission only, and it's our permission. And so, to his point here, the old self and, and the body of sin, just as the whole person was once in Adam and the line of the curse because of sin, our whole person has now been transferred into Christ. We've been immersed in Christ. And it's a, it's a picture of finality here in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. 
just as Jesus could not go back into the tomb and incomplete his work, when we are saved, we can't go back to the old person and undo all of what God did in us. Why? Because the old self was crucified with Christ. So when we think about the, the crucifixion, certainly we think about the fact that our sins are atoned for in the work of the crucifixion. But we also have to think about the fact that our old self, our old master, was rendered powerless in the work of the crucifixion. And so we are, our old self was crucified with him, not just by him, but, but with him. And therefore we have a new identity. We once were just marked by sin. Everything about us was sin. Even the good that was in us, the good deeds we did, the, the charitable acts that we, that we performed, were all self-promoting. We're, we, we simply exalted ourselves or, or tried, to, tried to take care of some guilt that we had by helping someone else out. We were once marked by sin, but now we have a new identity, and our identity is now in Christ. So we must know that we have a new life. We must know that we have a new identity And the third truth and the explanation of being in Christ is we must know that nothing will ever change who we are. Nothing will ever change who we are. Verse 9, here's the last last no statement in our text. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus died to sin, and so Jesus never has to die again. And if you want proof that, that Jesus never has to die again, just look to the resurrection. And since Jesus died and he never has to die again, the power of sin is broken, verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to to God. The Christian, believers must understand and embrace, we must understand and embrace who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. And so the explanation of being in Christ, those truths we must know. So how 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 do we respond What's the application of, we hear these truths and we think, yes, that's, that makes perfect sense. But, but how does that work itself out in the everyday avenues of life? Well, one, we must believe rightly, and two, we must behave rightly. First, let's think about how we are to believe rightly. What's the application of our being in Christ? We must believe rightly. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In all of the book of Romans, all the content that Paul has written up to this point, this is the first command that he comes to in, in this entire book. It's an imperative command, but he's basing this command on a truth for the Christian to believe. He says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so you're considering, you are, to use old language, you're reckoning yourselves. You are, you're being mindful of the fact that you are now dead to sin and alive to God. And so if we sin as Christians, when we sin as Christians, we're doing the spiritual equivalent of grave digging. We go into the cemetery of our former way of life, our former life. We find sin that we may think we might enjoy during the moment, and we just start digging. And so we must believe rightly that we are now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus and believe all the implications that that statement makes. For the rest of our lives, we must remember who we are. You are not who people say you are. You are not who your past says you are. You are not even who you say you are. You are who God says you are. 
And Romans 6.11 says you're dead to sin and alive to God. And so when temptation comes and when sin occurs in our lives, we, we drive our minds and our hearts to a verse like Romans 6.11. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And when we sin, when the Christian sins, we, we know that we are, we are acting in a way that is contrary to who we actually are in Christ. So we must believe rightly. We must truly believe that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so then also we must behave rightly. We must behave rightly. And in verse 12, Paul gets a little bit more practical in how we are to work with issues of sin in our lives. In verse 12, he teaches that we should not let sin be our master because we belong to God. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see this, this back and forth between, between righteousness and sin all through the text. And Paul's trying to convince the believer and teach the believer that, that they're dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And so then, therefore, what? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, which clearly implies the fact that we have control over sin in our lives. When we sin, we must give sin permission to occur in our lives. And so don't, we, we should not let sin reign in our lives because we are no longer under the reign of sin. And so when we sin, we are choosing willfully to place ourselves back under the old taskmaster of life. Forgetting the fact that we are, Romans 6.11, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't let sin be your master because you belong to God. Next point on behavior is verse 13. Fight sin with your whole self because you love God. Fight sin with your whole self because you love God. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for unrighteousness. Paul's point here is don't, don't yield to sin with any part of your person. Don't yield to sin with your mind. Don't yield to sin with your body. Don't yield to sin with your affections. And so for the Christian, we should be the ones who are taking drastic measures in our war with sin because we are dead to sin and we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the difference for us is, however, we are fighting for victory from victory. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the victory is secure for us. And so while we are fighting for victory in the war with sin, we understand that as we are pursuing victory, we actually already have the victory. We're dead to sin and we must continually die to sin. And we fight sin with our whole self because we have been made new in Christ and because we love Christ. We must behave rightly. In verse 14, Paul reminds us that grace now runs our lives. Grace is now the master over our lives. Look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What a, what a beautiful statement as we think about how we fight sin in this world and how frustrating and how defeated we can often be in our war with sin. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under its authority any longer. You are not under law, but under grace. You've been saved by the grace of God, and grace now runs your life. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know grace. And so even in those times when we do sin, it's our experience that, that sin is actually repulsive to us. We may, we may enjoy it in the moment, certainly. But we don't enjoy sin like we did enjoy sin before Christ saved us. We must remember that God loves us like he loves his own son. And, and 
when we've experienced the goodness of God's grace through salvation, why go back to the gutter of sin? We we may enjoy that sin in in a momentary in a moment of of instantaneous satisfaction, but the aftertaste of that sin is terrible. So what happens to us? Righteous guilt begins to impact us. We call this conviction. The Holy Spirit within us identifies sin for what it is, an offense toward the God who saved us and loves us and cares for us. And so when we're sinning, we're we're acting contrary to who we are in Christ. And so God will not let us alone in that sin, and he increases that distaste in our lives toward that sin so that we can taste that which is pure and right and true and just. Now, practically, we try to fight sin with all types of tactics, all kinds of strategies, different coping mechanisms, uh, which many of which are, are good and beneficial. Um, we try accountability groups and, and accountability partners or filters or just all these different types of aspects to, to try to overcome sin. And as long as we are pursuing those things in a fight towards sin, yes, absolutely. We should, we should fight hard. Jesus used very strong language when he talked about how we should view sin in our lives. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's metaphorical language, but he's, his point is sin is a serious issue. And so we, we certainly should fight, but why? Why should we fight? Why is it that we become so frustrated with sin? Why is it that we become so unsettled? It's because we've been made new. It's because we've, we've, we've been given a new identity. We're no longer seen in the family of sin and, and the life of sin. We have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. And now sin only gives us that pleasure in a moment. And we know that when we sin, we're acting in a way that's contrary to who we are. Before God saved us, before we experienced God's grace through salvation, we sinned because we had to. We did what came natural to us. But now when we sin, we actually sin because we want to. And so we can try to fight sin in our own power or for our own credit, or we can just we can rest in and trust in God's matchless grace, grace that is sufficient to cover all of our sins and the work of the atonement, and grace that is sufficient to lead us in victory over sin during this life. Why? Because we have been buried with Christ into his death, and we have been raised to walk in the newness of life. We are not who we once were, and so we do not do what we once did. This is the way Paul puts it in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, the key word, the operative word here is if. If you're a believer, this applies to you. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Brothers and sisters, you are a new creation. You have been made new. You have been given a new identity, and nothing will ever change that transaction. You are now in Christ. We are in Christ, and since we are in Christ, we are no longer satisfied with the temporary pleasures of sin. We are only satisfied with the eternal joy of Christ. And so let's make war on sin because we've been buried with him into his death, and we've been raised to walk in the newness of life by the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, we read these words in Romans 6 and other places throughout Scripture. We hear sermons like this one over and over again, and the reason why is because we need to. Lord, sin is a constant reminder in our lives of our need for you. And so give us grace and wisdom and boldness to fight sin. Father, may we experience a greater and deeper distaste for sin in this life. Father, you've baptized us in the death of Christ. We've been immersed into his death. And so our old self, our old body of sin, is rendered powerless. It was crucified, dead. So why, Lord, do we seem to keep going back to these old graves and digging them up? Lord, we need your help. Help us to fight sin, understanding that we have life in Christ. We have tasted and we have seen that that you are good. And nothing in this world compares. No experience of sin will ever compare to the joy that we have in our walk with you. And so, Father, may the crucifixion and the resurrection, the event and the truth of those that event, settle into our hearts and to our minds. And may we fight sin. And may we fight for victory from victory because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We pray it in his good name. Amen.